0: Welcome to Homeschooling Co-op Style, a weekly podcast hosted by Pat Wesselowski. Pat began homeschooling her nine children more than 25 years ago. It didn't take her long to discover that co-ops were a perfect fit for her educational goals. Co-ops allowed her family to study together with other families, creating a safe and friendly environment that was conducive to honing public speaking skills, sharing responsibilities with other parents, lessen the stress and the workload. After years of organizing and orchestrating a variety of co-ops, Pat is here to encourage, teach, and promote homeschooling co-op style. Hello, and welcome to Homeschooling Co-op Style. On today's show, I'll be sharing my co-op experiences and offer practical suggestions on how to organize and orchestrate a successful co-op. We'll cover everything from why, what, where, when, and how often to meet. When I began homeschooling, I only had three children at home. I eventually had nine children, but I began when my oldest was just five years old. At the time, I didn't have a philosophy of education, nor did I realize how important it was to develop a philosophy of education so we could be sure to set and meet goals along the way. I did have a mentor who blessed me with advice of not to bring the school into my home, but to make learning an everyday adventure. Up until that time, I had been teaching my children. I just didn't formally think of it as teaching, I thought of it more as parenting or raising the children. But when school age approached, then I began to think, ooh, now I have to become a teacher. I have to be intentional about this. And actually, I liked the idea of bringing the school into the home. I liked the idea of having desks, maps on the wall, and a place for the books, and starting off with a pledge and a prayer and things like that. And and so, against the advice of my mentor, I did set a time and a place for school, and I brought school into the home. And we did that for a little while. And at first, it was fun and exciting, but that wore off early. And we decided we needed to do something else. And it was then that I listened more carefully to what my mentor was trying to explain, that in homeschooling, one of the beauties of homeschooling is to make learning a part of life, that you just incorporate what you're doing and what's important to you into your children's lives each day, and that you do develop a philosophy of education and with intention include the things that are important to you so that's what i did over the years my philosophy of education changed and i found one of the most important things was to encourage my children's inquisitiveness what i wanted was to raise children who asked questions who wanted to know why things worked the way they worked, who wanted to discuss truth and how to find it and i realized a lot because of my own experience in the school i went to it was a chew up spit out school we chewed up the information and we would um spit it back out for the test and when we passed the test we would promptly forget that information. I was not a very inquisitive child at all. I made very good grades. You could tell me what to study and I studied it. You could tell me what I needed to know for the test and I learned it but I never thought to ask questions which is kind of sad because once I begin realizing how many questions there are to ask and how much information there is to learn, I began to enjoy learning much more. So now my philosophy of education includes not only encouraging the children to be curious, but teaching them how to find the information they need, teaching them to ask the right questions, teaching them to question the wrong answers, teaching them how to have discussions with children their age, children older than them, children younger than them, and adults. I also want my children to be able to articulate their beliefs what they've learned, to share that with others, to not be afraid to speak in public. Those are the things that are important to me as far as the philosophy of education goes. Because I'm a Christian, having a biblical worldview is very important to me. But not so much that I'm just brainwashing my children, but so much so that they understand what a worldview is, why a biblical worldview is important, what that means, and also be able to discuss that too. And I don't discourage my children from asking questions. They certainly are encouraged, not just loud, but encouraged To question why we believe what we believe and how we came to our conclusions. Because if we believe, if what we believe is true, their questions will hold water and they will find truth as well. If what we believe is not true, the sooner we all find that out, the better. So that's basically my philosophy of education. I want to raise children who know how to think, who know how to speak and who know how to find information. And then they'll be lifelong learners. Not only will they be lifelong learners, they'll be able to share what they learn with others and use their gifts. And if I'm successful, then I will raise children who will not only know why they believe what they believe, but they'll be able to share that with others. They'll continue to learn, and and they'll be successful in whatever they endeavor the rest of their lives. My first co-op experience came about because a friend, Adris, invited me to join a co-op she had organized, and the study was Native Americans. Indians. At the time, we just called them Indians. Now it's not politically correct, so we say Native Americans. But the first co-op was with several families meeting together at my friend's house, and we studied different tribes of Native Americans. And the study included, most of these children were young, so the study included fun things such as music and crafts and game. But the children also gave presentations about the Native Americans. And that was my first experience being with a group where children were required to be a part of the learning experience by giving presentations. Well, my children loved it. I loved it. It was a great experience, and it was one that changed my entire homeschooling experience. I've since had six more children, for a total of nine, now orchestrating a call for my granddaughter based on the American Girl books. We need to take a break for a word from our sponsor. Many homeschooling families participate in some type of dual enrollment program and oftentimes a student has finished one or more years of college before they even graduate high school. The ad you're about to hear is from Dr. Livesay, president of Bryan College. I've been a fan of Bryan College for years and I'm excited about their amazing dual enrollment program. If you live near Dayton, like we do, your dual enrolled child can attend classes on campus. However, if you're not close enough to attend a class, your child can take online classes for the unbelievably low price of $100 an hour. And. If you're a Tennessee resident, there are dual enrollment funds available for high school students as well. You'll be hard-pressed to find a Christian college with a strong worldview emphasis that offers dual enrollment at this low price. So listen up and check it out. Hello, I'm Stephen Livesey, president of Bryan College, and I'd like to tell you about an exciting offer to assist homeschool families. Brian seeks to provide a stimulating online environment where our students experience a deepening love for God and His truth. And at $100 per credit hour, your child can finish high school and receive college credit at the same time. To learn more about your child enrolling in Brian's dual enrollment program, where all classes are taught from a Christian worldview, contact us at online at brian.edu. That's b-r-y-a-n.edu, or visit brian.edu slash online. Now, what is a co-op? Is a co-op a noun? Is it an action? It's a verb? This, to me, is what a co-op is. A co-op is a group of children being taught by a group of their parents, cooperating together to make the experience a success. Co-ops are a fun way to include such vital subjects as research, logic, public speaking skills, worldviews, and critical thinking. Meeting together with several families on a regular basis accomplishes several goals. Number one, you have a safe and friendly environment so that the students, when they're giving their presentations, are not going to be intimidated or be made fun of, or embarrassed. Number two, the responsibilities are shared among the parents, which eases the workload for each family. Number three, children of various ages learn to cooperate and interact with other students, whether they're younger, older, or adults. Number four, socialization is monitored. All of our children love to socialize. They like getting together with other friends, and it's important that they be able to do that, that they learn socialization skills And a co-op setting provides a monitored place for this to take place. Number five, students who excel raise the bar for other students, motivating each other to higher performance standards. It's nice in a co-op that the children observe the other children as they give their presentations, and they notice who's boring, who's interesting, who's exciting. They notice when a student wears a costume or brings something to show or interacts with the audience, and by observing and watching the, the bar is raised for the other students so their performance can improve on a week-by-week basis. Not only is it a safe and friendly environment, not only is the bar raised by other students, but just the fact that they have an opportunity on a weekly or bi-weekly basis to give a presentation helps the child develop the public speaking skills that are so important. Why do we co-op? For all those reasons and more. For the socialization factor because our children love to have fun with friends, because we want our children to be able to interact with children of various ages and adults. But one of the most important parts of co-ops for me was ability to keep my family together. I wanted us to be on the same page. I wanted to study the same things. And there have been times and seasons in my life where I've tried different things, and yet I'm always pulled back to the co-ops because it brings a cohesiveness to our life during the week. And because I've had different seasons in my life where my children have ranged in age from infant to teenager, my co-ops have looked differently, and some have been specifically planned for a certain gender, a certain age, and some have included children of all ages, from babies up to the teen. In fact, some of our co-ops specifically included a nursery because so many of us had babies, and we would take turns in the nursery so we could still be involved with the co-op. Now, when do co-ops meet? Now, one of the beauties of co-op is that you can be as flexible as you want to be. You're the one who's going to decide, if you're organizing the co-op, how it's best going to meet your needs. And then you can find friends who feel the same way or have the same goals, and they can join you. Our co-ops usually meet once a week. Some co-ops meet every other week, some co-ops meet only once a month, and some co-ops even meet twice a week. You can meet as many or as few times as you want to accomplish the goals you set out, so it's really up to to what you want to do. Our co-ops usually meet once a week, and they usually last anywhere from 8 to 12 weeks. I usually advise people to keep their first co-op to a shorter time period so that they can see if it's working, if it needs to be changed, tweaked, if families need to change, once you experience a co-op and you get the dynamics of how it works, then you have a better understanding of how to plan for the next one. So don't be afraid to get your feet wet and start with a short co-op if you want. I like in the fall, I like to start the co-ops at the beginning of the year around September 1st. I like for them to end before Thanksgiving. I don't usually have co-ops from the period between Thanksgiving and January, except for one year we did a special holiday co-op, a short-term holiday co-op, but that was fun and it was service based. We'll talk about that later this year. But usually I start the beginning of September and before Thanksgiving and then after Christmas I'll start another co-op mid-January and end before mid-April and the reason I like to end then is because so many things happen in a schedule at the end of the school year you have recitals and performances and competitions and things like that so if the co-op finishes before all those events begin then you're free to enjoy them now what time of the day do you meet well, that, again, is up to you and, and your group. Usually we meet in the mornings. We often finish in the mornings, although we have had some teen co-ops that have lasted until 3 in the afternoon. But there are people who prefer afternoon co-ops. We have had evening co-ops so that the dads could be included, and some people have Saturday co-ops to include the fathers as well. The time of the day you meet depends on your group, and it may depend on the location where you're meeting as well. Now, one of the important parts of co op to the children at least but oftentimes to the parents too it's food (laughs) we do have the children bring their own water bottles so they have a drink with them and they're not getting up to going to the water fountain we're not having to provide cups and refill them so we have them bring water and our cups usually have a thematic snack when you have a snack that matches the theme of the co-op then the learning continues even during snack time when we study geography our snacks match the country which we were studying. When we studied Civil War, the snacks were interesting but not quite as delicious as if we were studying Mexico when they discovered chocolate. The snacks are important to the children too. They like socializing and they like eating. Some of our co-ops have extended through lunchtime and we often stay together and have a potluck or bring a lunch. Parents get to visit, children get to play, and then either go home or the co-op continues after lunch depending on the co-op that you have planned. One of our co-op met on a Tuesday morning, and it coincided with a promotional activity a local restaurant was doing where every Tuesday morning you could sign up for and get a free biscuit. So most of our co-op met at this restaurant before co-op, got our biscuit, mom's got our coffee, and then we went on to co-op. And that worked out great. Now who? Who is involved in the co-op? Again, this is the beauty of co-ops because you can organize them according to your desires. If you want it small and intimate, only two or three families need to be involved. If you want it large, you can have as many families as your location can hold. And we have had co-ops that are very small, and we've had co-ops that are very large. The logistics are different. They accomplish different goals sometimes, and they work differently, but they do work, and they can be very enjoyable. The co-op I'm organizing right now is for my granddaughter, Karis, an American Girl Co-op, and we only have seven or eight little girls that come every week. We, one of our largest co-op was a geography co-op, and we had as many as, I believe, 10 families, but they were large homeschooling families, and we had over 40 students because that co-op was so large, instead of each student doing individual presentations which is a very important part of co-op, we had families give presentations. So each family would get up in front of the group and share each week. And that worked out really well, too. You can have only boys. You can have only girls. You can have babies to teens. You can have only teens. We've done all of these things. Really, how you plan your co-op depends on your family, your goals, who you're inviting, what you want to study, where you're going to meet. But you can be as flexible as you want to be. So where do you meet? You can meet anywhere you want to meet. We've met outside in parks. We've met in churches, houses, businesses, libraries. You could even meet in a barn if one was available. If there's a campground near you or or a camp that has buildings and is not being used, you may be able to use the camp. The sky's the limitation on where you meet. Sometimes that's one of the largest hurdles. Right now, our co-op is meeting at the local library. There's no fee involved. We're allowed to use the room as long as we clean it up when we're done, which, of course, we would. If we want to use any of the equipment such as a projector and things like that, there would be an additional cost at this library. Oftentimes it's good to meet at a church because they already have projectors and screens and things like that which you may want to use and you may be able to use free or for a small fee. No matter where we meet, if it's a building, we usually contribute to the person who is allowing us to meet there in some shape or form by either paying them or bringing them food, writing notes of thanks, fixing things if they're broken, doing something to show appreciation for the place we meet. So your location can be anywhere. Someone who has a larger home, we've met in homes that have worked well. One home had enough rooms that we could all meet together in one area, and then when we needed to break up, we would have a room for crafts and a room for experiments. We included science in that co-op. And then a room for snacks. We would stay and have a potluck there. The children would get to continue to play and the parents could talk about what worked, what didn't work, what we needed to do for the next week and have a planning session as we also visited and fellowshiped after the co-op. Speaking of the locations, do you need equipment? You really don't. It's nice to have tables so the children can write and take notes, but we've had locations where there were no tables available. It's nice to have a screen and a uh, projector for PowerPoint presentations, but we've had rooms where that wasn't available either. Right now, the American Girl Cop, we simply use my laptop, and some of the children do give PowerPoint presentations on my laptop. And I have found that ordering a remote for the laptop to use with a PowerPoint presentation is a great convenience, and the remotes are not very expensive. So if you do have children who... Give PowerPoint presentations or you organize your co-op with a PowerPoint presentation, which is what I do, then those remote controls are very nice to have. You're not tied to being right next to the computer the entire time. You don't usually use microphones, but you can if they're available, and it's actually a good skill to teach a child how to use a microphone properly. So if you have that opportunity, that could be included in your co-op too. If you're going to be showing DVDs or YouTubes, anything on a screen, then you just need to make sure you have your equipment, that it's ready, that everything works. And it's getting easier and easier for us moms to figure out how to use this equipment so that we can have access to all of these things without having to have a technician present with us. So there's cables and cords for everything. One of our co-ops, we simply hook the laptop up to a large flat screen, which someone brought in every week and we found the right cable. We didn't find that out at first. We ordered one that didn't include, it didn't include audio. So then we learned which cable to order to hook the laptop up to the monitor. But usually there's someone, some parent or child involved in the co-op who can help you figure those things out. So you don't really need equipment, but having equipment is nice to have. So you get your location, and you get your families, and you decide when and where you're going to meet, and then you have to decide what are you going to study. Well, this is the fun part, and this is the fun part of organizing a co-op because if you're the one who's organizing the co-op, you can choose what you're going to study. Oftentimes my co-ops were based on things that interested me, things I wanted to learn and know more about. One of, Well, two of our favorite co-ops, one was Civil War, and another was Inventions. I turned into publications later because they were such fun co-ops. In fact, because my children range in age from, well, they're 18 years apart, we studied the Civil War several times. We studied inventors and inventions several times as well. So if you're organizing the co you can choose to study. Study things as specific as one war, based on the Civil War, on inventions, on world history, on ten wars, on a list of tens. I'll tell you about that list in a minute. On geography, on American girls, on persuasive speaking. We've had co-ops on Seeking Truth, on the SCOPES trial, on vocation and calling. Right now my son's involved in a co-op that includes a study on constitution and economics. So the study you choose can be as narrow or as wide as you choose. It can be based on events that have already happened or on current events, or you can combine the two together. Our co-op that was based on a book of lists had to do with different subjects each week. One week it was natural disasters. Another week it was famous people. Another week it was inventions. It was a fun call op because the variety of subjects was, was huge, and the thematic desserts, the thematic snacks, were quite interesting. I remember when we studied man-made disasters, we were learning about the spaceship that exploded, and the reason the spaceship exploded was because of faulty O-rings. And the day we studied that, a parent brought in donuts for the snack and talked about the O-rings, And since that time, I've never forgotten that piece of information because it was tied to The thematic Snack, which makes it fun for the children as well. And we're going to be talking in future shows about subjects, how to choose them, how to plan a co-op around them. We'll get very specific for you. Meanwhile, there are guides you can use. We've written several guides. There are guides available by other people. When I first started homeschooling, oh, 27, 8 years ago, there was very few materials available to us. Mostly, we could purchase a Becca or Bob Jones textbooks. that was about it. And then thanks to Valerie Bent, and Amanda Bennett and others, unit studies became popular. And then we could buy unit studies and use them. Unit studies are very adaptable to co-op. But the beauty, again, another beauty with co-op is you can choose a subject, and then thanks to the Internet, you have access to so many things easily at your fingertips. You can use them to organize your co-op so you can study whatever it is that's important to you. Oftentimes we have a craft or a game if younger students involved. If it's older students, we may include an experiment or a mission project, something they can do together hands-on. We also have breakout sessions in our co-op particularly as the children get older, we find it's very important that they discuss information so they learn how to discuss it, they learn how to share what they've discussed, and they can be open to listening to what other people are learning and sharing. So it it hones their critical thinking skills, their leadership skills, their speaking skills. All those things work well when you have breakout sessions And usually in our co-ops, the groups that meet together to break out change every week or after a certain period of time so that children learn to interact with other children. And the leadership in each breakout group will change periodically too. So children will become more experienced in leading a group and in leading discussions and then in sharing with the entire group the discussion that they've had. This has been a very brief overview of the what, when, where, and how of co-op. If I didn't make it clear earlier... One thing I do want to tell you is co-op, having a group together, provides an opportunity for your children to hone their public speaking skills, and that's an opportunity that's not really available at home within your own family. It's important that they be able to stand up in front of a safe and friendly environment, because later it might not be safe and friendly, but right now you want it to be, and give presentations. So they become familiar with researching, writing, and sharing information with a group. When your children are really young, this can be something as simple as show and tell. They can show something they enjoy and talk about it. They can tell a little bit about themselves. You can ask them questions. They can answer. The presentations need not be long or involved. In fact, even later on, you don't want them to be too long because then they won't hold the attention of the students. But you do want your, your children to become familiar with and used to speaking in public so they will grow up without having a fear of speaking in public. You know, research says that people are more afraid of speaking in public than they are of dying which means they would rather be in the casket than the one giving the eulogy at a funeral. But when you raise them from a young age, giving presentations in front of a group, they rarely develop such a strong fear of speaking in public. In fact, my oldest daughter did this so often. When she was 16, I had her enter a speech contest, and she won on the local level, and she won statewide, and she won a $1,500 scholarship to college. And when I watched her at the state competition, give her presentations to over 200 people in a room and do it with such ease, I realized a lot of that was due to the fact that she grew up giving presentations to a group, first a very small group, but she never did have that huge fear of speaking in public and has always been able to speak to groups and even to this day is still used in a ministry where she teaches children and, and is not uncomfortable being in front of a group of students. In fact, most of my children are that way, and yours can be too. It's funny that we all speak, almost all of us, every single day, yet we're not intentional about teaching our children to hone their public speaking skills, and that's so important. One of the primary benefits of co-oping when you have your children give presentations is giving them that experience to hone their public speaking skills. So grab a few friends, pick out a subject to study, Figure out where you're going to meet, when you're going to meet, and give co-oping a try. If you have any questions or suggestions for what to cover on future shows, feel free to contact me. I have a Facebook page, Homeschooling Co-op Style. I have a blog, Better Together. I have a web webpage, bettertogethercoop.com, only there's no dash in the co-op. So it looks like bettertogethercoop.com. But I'm sure you can find us somewhere. We're on the Ultimate Network Radio Show, and we would love to have you join our show at a future time when we have a, a live broadcast and when we have open mind. So join us next time on Homeschooling Co-op Style. Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you heard, be sure to tell your friends. And until next time, this has been Homeschooling Co-op Style.